it is a uh, core part of the, the superhero story that we've kind of based some of this series on. It's a series about uh, Genesis 1 through 12, but we're using origin story as a metaphor, and it's the idea of destruction and then recreation. And uh, the story of uh, Noah and the flood, Noah and the ark, depending on your perspective, is uh, very much a story of that, as we'll see uh, this week and next. Uh, we're going to be uh, in this story for a couple more weeks. We'll be in the whole series uh, right up until right before Easter. But um, this sermon's going, I think it's going to feel a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to ask you to just kind of walk and wind with me uh, for a while and uh, just trust we're, we're going to end up in a place uh, that I think will be helpful, but we're, it's going to require a little walking together and a lot of scripture. Uh, th this is a long section of scripture uh, we're going to be looking at. So you up for it? Yeah. All right. Soft response. It's cool. Let's pray. Um, and then we'll get into it. All right. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Uh, thank you for uh, what he teaches us about this story and uh, what he shows us. I pray that uh, we would have a deeper and better understanding of you uh, by the end of this thing. Uh, it's in his name that we pray, Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, the Lord then said to Noah, go into your ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep, the, uh, to keep their various kinds of life throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all the creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on, the day, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all the creatures that have the breath of life of them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah, and then the Lord shut him in. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, uh, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the, the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that uh, on, on earth, uh, on land, perished birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam over the earth, all mankind. Everything on dry ground that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Welcome to Northwest. It's a happy text. 
Um, when uh, we were uh, having children, Cheryl and I were trying to come up with like a theme for the nursery. You know how you go about doing that. And Cheryl thought, well, I mean, you're a pastor, you, you teach the Bible and all that. Should we have Noah's Ark as, as a theme? And I kind of in the moment thought it was a bad idea because of how dark this story feels. Right, how much judgment there is in the story that God wiped out the face of every living thing on the earth. Sleep tight, little one. Right? Don't let the bed bugs bite, right? Nighty night, right? Because it feels like a story of God's judgment, doesn't it? And I think a lot of us have this view of God, and it's certainly not the only story where we see the characteristic of God. We've seen early on in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin, when they eat the forbidden fruit, God gives a series of judgments that he pronounces on first the serpent who tempted them, and then the man, and then the woman, judgments like, hey, work is going to be hard now, childbirth is going to be painful, relationships are going to be difficult, death is going to enter, the, enter into the world, and we see this kind of judgment mental side of God. Later on in the book of Genesis, there's a story about uh, twin cities, kind of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and about how evil those cities were. And Abraham ends up kind of pleading for these cities in the text because he has family that's living there. And there's this interesting part of that story that I want to show you. It said, the Lord God said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is, let's say, five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy. It feels like a negotiation with my eight-year-old right now. But all right, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to them. What if only 40 could be found there? For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord God not be angry. Just let me speak. What if only 30 could be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, may the Lord not be angry with me, but let me speak just one more time. One more time, dad. What if only 10 could be found there? He said, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. You know what happened in the next chapter? He destroyed it. There were not 10 righteous people that were found in that city. And I think that we don't understand this part of God, this judgmental part of God, for a couple of reasons. I think we fail to understand that life and death are kind of God's deal. That in chapter one, we realize that God is the creator. God made the whole thing, and it is his to give life to, and it is his to take away life to. The, the story of Noah and the flood is well within God's rights and responsibilities. It is within his rights and responsibilities to end life. It is within his rights and responsibilities to make life. And for some reason, this bothers us. And it, it offends us almost that God takes this responsibility in his hands, but if it's not in the hands of God, upon whose hands should it be? Right? It, it is God's right. It is God's responsibility. We understand this on a real micro level. Um, we have Legos at our house, right? So just go with it just for a minute. And the Legos are Sam, my eight-year-old's domain, our two-year-old Lila knows that she's not supposed to go near the Lego room, even though she has access to it. She's not supposed to go near there. Sam's, uh, Sam is the creator, 
Sam's the little G God of the Lego room, all right? Uh, he is in charge. The other day, we're like, hey, where is Lila? We couldn't find her for a quick second. And we look over there, and she's sitting kind of cross-legged in the Lego room, and she has one of Sam's creations. And, and Cheryl goes, Lila, what are you doing? She says, I'm helping Sam. Right, oh, baby, don't help Sam, all right? Because he, he, I know what's going to happen is that at some point, Sam's going to wander to the Lego room, and here is the voice we are going to hear. Lila! Right? And that voice of judgment is going to come because it is Sam's right and responsibility. He disassembles Legos all the time. He is the creator. Lila is not the creator. She knows she's supposed to stay away from them. God is the creator. Life and death are in his hands. In his hands. I think the other reason these stories, we struggle with these stories, is that we fail to understand how holy and righteous God is. And it's understandable because we're human beings, but I think sometimes we just fail to see how otherly God's holiness is and how righteous he is and how perfect he is. Isaiah got a glimpse of this one time. One time. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. What is the response? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips uh, and I live among a people with unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. So sometimes I think we don't understand this judgmental side of God because we don't understand his holiness and we don't understand his righteousness. And as a result of that, we fail, to see, we fail to see how big of a deal our sin is to God. That even what we consider to be small sins, in light of God's holiness, in light of God's righteousness, in, in light of God's love for me and God's love for you, they become a really big deal. And I think children help us understand this to a small degree, that most of us would consider lying to be kind of a small sin. Right, one, one of those small sins, not a big deal, until someone lies to our children. Right? When someone lies to our children, it's not a small sin anymore. It is a big deal. Right? Uh, um, we, we tend to think of name calling as something that kids do. Kids will be kids until someone calls our child a name. And, and then the gloves come off. Our holiness comes out in a bigger way as a reflection of our love for our children. Multiply that by a billion or more. And you'll start to see why sin is such a big deal to God in light of his love for us, but in light of his love for other people as well. And I think the other mistake that we make about this whole subject is that we think this is all there is to God, right? Some of us have God in that box that he's angry and he is just looking for a good smoting, right? That, that we see these stories and we don't see them as kind of an extreme example. Instead, we think that God just idles angry. That is his natural setting. That is who he is. And I think it would be easy to see this story this way, an angry God, a judgmental God, a God looking to destroy, except for the story continuing. And here's how the story continues. It says, but God, but God, remember Noah, and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. 
Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the 17th month, the, uh, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede, and recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. This is a part of the story where Noah starts to send out birds to see how much the waters had receded. Uh, and we are skipping it because I hate birds. And, and I have the microphone and it's my prerogative, right? Uh, I think they're nasty. My mom showed me the Hitchcock movie, The Birds, when I was a kid. It freaked me out. I'm scared of sparrows. We're moving on, all right? All right, so the waters receded. That's all you need to know is the waters receded, all right? Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and, your wi and, and their wives. Bring out every uh, kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. And so you see this kind of element of grace toward Noah and his family within the story. It's not all judgment, he saves this family. He rescues Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. He provides a way for redemption. So in a weird way, the ark is not just a picture of God's judgment. In a weird way for Noah and his family, the ark becomes a symbol of God's rescue mission for them. And you see this side again all throughout creation, in the, uh, all throughout the, the, the Old Testament, in the story of, and the new for that matter, but you, you see in the story of creation, after Adam and Eve have sinned, they're feeling this guilt. They're feeling this shame. And one of the things that God does is he uh, kills an animal and he covers up their nakedness. He, he covers them up so they don't have to feel that embarrassment and, and that shame. You see it in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that there are infinite chances given to those cities to turn back to God. God allows Abraham to go on a rescue mission for his family. And you see it most clearly in the story of the cross, that God sees mankind in their sin. And Jesus comes from heaven and comes to earth and he goes to a cross to rescue us and forgive us of that sin. And as followers of Jesus, I think we tend to have a leaning one way or the other. Some of us, we have a leaning toward God as a God of judgment. And if you have that kind of, if you have God in that box that he's all judgment, you might be, find yourself afraid of him. You might find yourself being harsh with yourself about your sin or harsh with other people. Some people, they are all grace, that God is all about grace. And you might find yourself being cavalier about his commands, cavalier about his righteousness. You might fail to see some of the greatness and majesty of God's judgment. So let me ask you a question. What is this story? The story of Noah and the ark. Is this a story of God's judgment? Or is this a story of God's grace? And the answer, as you probably suspect, the answer to that question is yes. Yes, it is a story of God's judgment. And yes, it is a story of God's grace. Here's how Peter said it. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Let me ask you a question. How long does it take for the story of Noah and his ark to unfold in the Bible? Uh, At the very end of the last genealogy, we we are told that God numbered the days of mankind to 120 years. And one theory is that God was going to reduce the age of mankind, that they would live less time. The problem with that theory is that human beings still live much longer than that for a long time. The better theory is that God is saying that in 120 years, I'm going to flood the earth. It's 120 years until the flood. So let me put this in perspective for you. It is 120 years of mankind seeing the ark built. 120 years of uh, the example that Noah and his family set. 120 years of preaching truth. 120 years of opportunity. 120 years of patience. Let me give you another thing. Do you know the last thing that happened before the floodwaters came to the earth? The last thing that happened, the very last thing that happened was the door closed. For all of those years, the door was open with God. People could repent. People could turn back to God. People could follow Noah's example. The very last thing that happened was the door closed. For all of that 120 years leading up to it, the door was open. So here's what I need you to understand. God has a holiness God has a righteousness that must be understood, and because of that, sin must be dealt with. But listen, God leaves an open door for us. He leaves an open door for us, and Peter is trying to show us in that text that Jesus is that open door. Jesus is our open door. Peter says he suffered for our sins on the cross. The righteous suffered for the sins of the unrighteous. We hardly even have a category to understand this. Right, this last week, uh, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty, and we all cheer because this is the category that we're used to. You've done the unrighteous act, you pay the penalty. The unrighteous pays for the sins of the unrighteous, but this is not what is described here. That our unrighteousness brought us under judgment as human beings. Our unrighteousness brought us under condemnation, Peter says. Our unrighteousness brought a bunch of spiritual consequences. But the righteous one, Jesus Christ, paid it all on the cross. The righteous paid for the sins of the unrighteous. And why did he do that? Peter tells us, to bring you to God. That's why he did it. Our sin was separating us alienating us from God. So what did Jesus do to bring you back into that relationship you were created to have? He came from heaven. He left heaven. He came to earth. He paid for our sins on the cross. And we say this all the time around here. You were made to know, honor, and worship God. Jesus, through his sacrifice, makes that possible. Jesus is our open door. I love the imagery of the water because here's the thing with the water in in this flood. The deal with the water is you could view the water as an act of God's judgment. You could. And for those that perished in the water that day, for for the rest of mankind outside of Noah, I am sure it felt that way. But, listen to this. To Noah, 
to his sons and to their wives, I guarantee you that that water became a symbol of their family's salvation because they now had a different perspective. It was through that water and through the ark that they were saved. I guarantee you that for everybody else, they viewed it as a picture of God's judgment, as a, as a picture of God's condemnation, but to Noah and his family, when they were telling this story years later and they were sitting around the campfire remembering, that water, because of their change of perspective, that water became a picture of grace. Let me put this into real world terms here. I know a pastor that had an appointment in the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001 at 10 a.m. Right, he was supposed to be in the building at that time. He had arranged for a hotel wake-up call and for whatever reason, it never came through. He overslept, he couldn't get a cab, and then the first plane hit the tower. And when most of us think of that day, we think about it as a day of terrorism and a day of fear. When that pastor tells that story, he talks about the terrorism, he talks about that fear, but that pastor, when he tells that story, he tells it as a story about the day that for whatever reason, he was saved. His situation changed his perspective. And now, that he, now he sees that day as the day of his salvation, as the day that for whatever reason, his alarm didn't go off, for whatever reason, he got delayed, and he ended up being spared. He ended up being saved. Listen, the cross for years and years and years was a picture of torture, a picture of judgment, a picture of despair. That was the picture of the cross. But because of Jesus, now our perspective changes and it becomes a picture of God's grace. My, how a picture can change depending on your perspective. My, how a picture can change depending on your perspective. So was the story of Noah and the flood an act of God's judgment or an act of God's grace? I suppose it depends on your perspective. There are people that would say, absolutely, that perished that day. It is a story of God's judgment. But there were people in that ark huddled up together that were rescued and saved, and their perspective would tell them that is a story of God's grace. That, that is a story of God's redemption. That is a story about the day, Noah would say, that me and my family were rescued and saved. And so Peter goes on to say that now we get our own kind of water image, right? Just like the, the water was a picture of God's grace for Noah and his family, we get our own kind of water picture of our salvation called baptism. And I understand that baptism to you might seem like a thing that's kind of weird and a little bit crazy to go under the water and to come back out. But to many in this room, they would look at a baptism that happens here on a Sunday and they would say, that is a picture of my redemption. That is a picture of God's grace. That, that is a picture of my salvation, that I died to Christ. And when I died to Christ, all of my sins were forgiven. I am no longer under his judgment. I am no longer under his condemnation. I have now received grace upon grace upon grace. In those waters, all of my sins were paid for. And, and then that's not the only picture though. And then I am raised to new life a life where Jesus is my king, a life where Jesus is my leader, a life where Jesus is everything, and now I follow him. What an amazing picture of water. So let me ask you, is the story of the Bible a story of God's judgment? I suppose from one perspective, you could see it that way. 
I suppose from one perspective, you could say, yes, it is a story of God's judgment. It is a story of God's condemnation. It is a story of all of those things. But listen, from the angle of the cross, the entire picture changes. And I think now from the angle of the cross, when you put your faith in Jesus, the entire picture changes and it becomes a story of God's salvation, a story of God's grace, a story of new life. My, 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 how a picture can change depending on your perspective. And so I wanna invite you to place yourself in the perspective of the cross. I promise you the entire picture changes when you do that to put yourself in a relationship with Jesus where you can now see uh, these stories in a different, new, and unique way. And, and what Jesus does for our perspective is we begin to see grace, the Bible says grace upon grace upon grace. The entire picture changes because of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story, and I do suppose it is easy to see the story of Noah and the flood as an act of judgment, as an act of condemnation. But I bet Noah didn't see it that way. I bet when Noah told this story to his grandkids years later, I'm sure he included some of the hard parts of the story, but I bet it was a story about the day my family was saved, the day we were rescued, the day we were redeemed, the day we were given a second chance. And because of your cross, because of the cross of Christ, we all get that opportunity for years and years and years, the story of the cross, what was story of condemnation and story of judgment and story of hardship. That's what the cross symbolized. But because of Jesus, followers of his now can kind of see that cross and say, that is the day I was saved. That is the day I found grace. That is the day my life changed. And that perspective, the perspective of the cross, changes the way we see everything. We start to see grace in everything. May it be true of us and anybody that has, uh, that needs to change their perspective and come under the cross, I just pray that your spirit would begin to move in them and that they would see that your cross and your grace changes everything. May it be so. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.